From Community Public Radio, this is the CPR News. From New York, I'm Don DeBar. Russia's President Vladimir Putin ordered the Russian military to secure the peace in the newly recognized Donetsk and Lugansk republics, which were officially recognized by Moscow on Monday. President Putin instructed the Defense Ministry to send peacekeepers into the Donbass region and advised the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to establish diplomatic relations with the two new states. Putin's actions followed a television address to the nation on Monday evening Moscow time, where he explained the step as a long overdue response to what he called the colonization by the West of Ukraine under the rule of a Russophobic government hostile to Moscow, denying ethnic Russians and Russian speakers basic human rights. We bring you the first half of his 58-minute address as translated here. Of course, my address is also aimed at our fellow citizens in Ukraine. We'll have to have a substantive and detailed conversation because the matter is very serious. Situation in Donbass is becoming critical. And today I'm addressing you directly, not only to talk about what's happening, but also to inform you about the decisions we're making about possible steps in this regard. Once again, I would like to underscore that Ukraine is not just a neighbor, neighboring country to us. It is an inherent part of our own history, culture, spiritual space. They are our comrades, relatives, not only colleagues, friends, but also our family, people we have blood and family ties with. Since ancient times, people from ancient southwestern Russian lands were called themselves, were calling themselves Russians and Orthodox. That was happening until 17th century when part of these territories rejoined the Russian Empire, the Russian state, and after that. It seems that we know all about this, that we are talking about facts that everyone knows, but at the same time, we need to have understanding what is happening today to explain motives and aims that Russia has. We need to say a couple of words about the history of this matter. I would like to start by saying that the modern Ukraine is completely, was completely created by Russia. To be more exact, by Bolshevist, Bolshevik communist Russia. This process has started almost immediately after the 1917 revolution. And Lenin and his supporters did it in a rough way. If we talk about Russia, they were alienating parts of historical territories of Russia. And millions of people who lived there, obviously no one asked anything. Then before the Great Patriotic War and after it, Stalin added to the USSR and handed over to Ukraine some lands that belonged to Poland and Hungary. And as a compensation, Stalin gave some ancient German lands to Poland. 
And in the 1960s, Khrushchev decided to take Crimea away from Russia and also gave it to Ukraine. That's how the territory of the Soviet Ukraine was formed. But now I would like to draw your attention to the initial stages of the establishment of the USSR. I think it's of utmost importance for us because we have to start from afar. I would like to remind you that after the October Revolution of 1917 and the civil war that followed, Bolsheviks started building a new state. And they had some differences among them. Stalin, who in 1922 was at the same time Secretary General of the Soviet Communist Party and people Commissar on the Merits of Ethnicities decided to build the country on the principles of autonomy, thus giving to the republics, to the future administrative units, wide authority when they were supposed to join the state. Lenin criticized this plan and he suggested to make concessions to the nationalists, the way he called them back then advocates of independence. Basically, that was idea about creating a confederation and give the right to every nation for self-determination. That was the basis of the Soviet state. First, in 1922, it was enshrined in the Declaration on the Establishment of the Soviet Union, and then, after the death of Lenin, it was also enshrined in the Constitution of the USSR of 1924. And right away, here we have a lot of questions. It raises a lot of questions. And first of them, and the main question, why were they making all kinds of concessions to the nationalists at the outskirts of the former empire to give to the administrative units that were haphazardly formed huge territories, oftentimes that had nothing to do with them. And they were giving these territories with the population of historic Russia. And these administrative units were given status and shape of the state entities. And once again, this begs a question. Why did they have to do such generous gifts? Even the most blatant nationalists couldn't dream of. And at the same time, give the republic a right to withdraw from the new state without any preconditions. At first glance, it doesn't seem clear. It seems like madness, but only at first glance, because there is an explanation. After the revolution, the main goal Bolsheviks had was to keep power, to stay at power at any cost. And for this, they went to any length to sign humiliating conditions of the breast truce when the Kaiser's Germany were in the dire economic situation and the outcome of the World War I was already almost decided and by giving any concessions to the nationalists inside the country. From the point of view of the historic destiny of Russia and its people, Lenin's principles of building the state weren't a mere mistake. That was much worse than a mere mistake. After the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, this has become absolutely obvious. Of course, what happened in the past cannot be changed, but at least we have to talk about it in honest and direct way, without any political agenda, without giving any political color to it. I can only add that the 
ideas of the current political realities, no matter how beneficial they might seem currently, under no circumstances cannot and should not be a basis of the building a state. I'm not blaming anyone, accusing anyone of anything. The situation in the country back then and after the Civil War and before the Civil War was incredibly difficult, was critical. And now I only can say that that's how it happened. That's a fact. That's a historical fact. And as a result of Bolsheviks policy, the Soviet Ukraine was created. And we have every reason to say now that it's Ukraine created by Vladimir Lenin. He's its creator and architect. And it's fully confirmed by the documents from the archives. Also including the decrees, Lenin's decrees regarding Donbass that was added to Ukraine. And now grateful the sentence demolishing all the statues, all the monuments to Lenin. They call it decommunization. You want decommunization? Well, we are quite happy with that. But don't stop halfway. We are ready to show you what would mean actual decommunization for Ukraine. Coming back to the history of the matter, I would like to remind you that back in 1922, At the territory of the former Russian Empire, the Soviet Union was established. But the reality showed that keeping this territory and ruling this territory using the principles of confederation deems impossible because it had nothing to do neither with the realities nor with the historical tradition. And the Red Terror and switch to the Stalins purges and the monopoly of the Communist Party, nationalization, planned economy, all that in reality was turned into a formality, nothing more. Principles that were declared but didn't actually work. In reality, Soviet republics had no sovereign rights. None. In practice, what was created, strictly centralized, unitarian in its character state that was centralized. Stalin implemented not Lenin's ideas, but his own ideas of how state should be built. But changes to the founding acts, to the constitution, he didn't make any changes in this regard. Lenin's principles about building the Soviet Union were not reconsidered technically. It seemed there was no need in this under totalitarian regime, authoritarian regime, everything worked well, and it looked nice from the outside. It looked more than democratic even. But still, it's a shame. It's a shame that from the formal foundations our state was built on, they didn't clear out this odious, utopic, brought about by the revolution, but destructive fantasies. And in the future, how it often happened, no one thought about it. The leaders of the Communist Party seemed to be confident that they managed to build a strong governing system, that using this policy, they managed to finally resolve the national issue. But replacing the notions, manipulating the public moods, 
could cost dearly. The infection of nationalism did not disappear. And that bomb that was undermining the state with this infection of nationalism was just waiting for its hour to come. Because once again, any republic had the right to withdraw from the USSR. In the middle of 1980s, against the background of raising problems, crisis of the plant economy, the nationalist issue that was caused not, some, not by some ideas of the Soviet peoples, but by growing appetites of the current leaders was escalated. But the USSR leadership, instead of analyzing the situation and making thoughtful decisions in the economy and in the political system, in the governing system, they were only talking about restoring Lenin's principles about national self-determination. More than that, inside the Communist Party there was a struggle for power in each side wanting to expand its support started to encourage this nationalism. They were trying to play with it. They are, were promising anything to this nationalist. And when they talked about the democracy in bright future based either on the market economy or a planned economy, but when in reality people were getting poorer and poorer and their deficit got stronger, no one from the authority was thinking about tragic consequences. And then they went down well-throated path of satisfying the ambitions of nationalist elites that were raised inside the party. Because the Communist Party doesn't have these tools anymore, which is good. So they couldn't keep the power and they couldn't use such tools as dictatorship or purges and even the governing role of the party was diluted like, a morning, like the folk in the morning in front of their eyes. And in September 1989, at the plenary session of the Communist Party, was made a fateful decision, the national policy of party under current conditions. So that, these are the stipulations it had. Soviet republics have all the rights to exercise their status of the sovereign Soviet republics. And the highest governing bodies can stop any decrees and any loss of the Soviet government in their territories. And finally, every Soviet Republic has its citizenship that is given to all its citizens. Wasn't it obvious what will be the outcome of such decrees? Now it is not the time and the place to talk about the constitutional right or give definition of what citizenship is, but still it begs a question. Why? In those difficult conditions, they needed to make the situation even less stable. But the fact is still a fact. Two years before the Soviet Union collapsed, it was doomed. Now radicals and nationalists, including, and first of all, in Ukraine, they take the merit of winning independence. But we can see that that's not the truth. What happened to our country was caused by the mistakes done by the leadership of the Communist Party, made at different stages and at different types in
times in their national and economical policies. The collapse of historical Russia, named the USSR, was brought about by them. And despite all this, despite stealing from the people, our people agreed to the new realities that were brought about by the collapse of the USSR. They recognized new states, new republics, not only recognized. Back then, Russia was in dire situation, but it tried to help its partners from the CIS, including Ukrainian partners, because starting from the moment of proclaiming independence, they started making requests for the material support. And our country was giving this support with respect to the sovereignty of Ukraine. According to the estimates of the experts, that can be proved just by looking at the prices of our energy carriers, by our loans, about trade preferences that Russia was giving to Ukraine, the total profit for the Ukrainian budget since 1991 to 2013 was about $250 billion. But that's not all of it. By the end of 1991, the debt of the USSR in front of other states in international fund was about 100 billion. And initially it was thought that this debt would be paid out by all the republics of the USSR in proportionate terms, in proportion with their economic potential. But Russia took the burden of paying out the entire Soviet debt and paid it out eventually. And we completed this process in 2017. And the other Soviet republics had to renounce from the Soviet assets. And uh, this such agreement was signed in late 1994 with Ukraine. But Kiev didn't ratify this agreement. And later they refused to implement it. They were talking about golden reserves and about all kinds of assets of the former Soviet Union abroad. And still, despite the known problems, Russia has always cooperated and worked with Ukraine in an open and honest manner with respect to its interests. Our ties in all kinds of areas were developing. So in 2011, the trade turnover was more than $50 billion. And allow me to mention that the trade turnover of Ukraine with all the EU, EU countries in 2019 before the pandemic was smaller than that. And at the same time, it was noticeable that the Ukrainian authorities preferred to act in such a way that to have all the rights and preferences in the relations with Russia, but to carry no obligations at the same time, assuming no obligations. So it wasn't really a partnership. They were just trying to get more from Russia. And sometimes it was, it looked unceremoniously. For example, remember the blackmailing in the gas transit, stealing gas even. I would like to remind you that they were trying to use dialogue with Russia as a tool to blackmail the West. They said that they were, will, would get closer to Russia, trying to win preferences. They were saying that if not, the Russian presence in Ukraine will grow. And from the very first steps, they started building their statehood by renouncing everything that was bringing us together. They were trying to twist the historical 
memory of the generations of people who lived in Ukraine. So it comes as no surprise that the Ukrainian society faced the growth of the radical nationalism that became Russophobic and nationalist. That's why there are now Nazis and joining gangs in eastern Ukraine. The territorial claims against Russia were voiced more often. And the outer forces were also using their special services to raise their people in Ukraine and to move them into power, into the government. Ukraine has never had stable traditions of their own statehood. Starting from 1991, they followed the path of the mechanical copying of foreign models that had nothing to do with their history or with the Ukrainian realities. Political and state institutions were changed to benefit the clans with their own interests that had nothing to do with the interests of the people of Ukraine. The whole idea of the so-called pro-Western civilizational choice of the Ukrainian democratic power was and is still not in creating better conditions for the good of the people, but to serve the geopolitical adversaries of Russia to save billions of dollars they stole from the Ukrainians and hidden by oligarchs in the, on the accounts in Western banks. Some financial groups who paid politicians first, they based on radicals and nationalists, others they were saying for good friendly relations with Russia, for cultural and language versatility, and they were coming to power using the votes of the people who really wanted to see it happen, including the people from the southwest. But after they were assuming office, after getting high positions, they were betraying their people who elected them, their voters, and they followed the radical ideas in their policies. Sometimes they were even punishing people who wanted to cooperate with Russia, who wanted to keep both languages viable. And those people who supported them of moderate views, who are used to trust the power, unlike radicals, they would never be aggressive to use unlawful means. But radicals were coming more and more brazen, their claims were becoming bigger and bigger, so they had no problem to influence the weak power that was weakened by the virus of corruption. And they were replacing cultural, economic, social interests of the people, actual sovereignty of Ukraine by speculations on nationalist ground. The stable statehood hasn't been built in Ukraine and the political electoral procedures served just as a screen to divide power and assets between oligarch clans. Corruption that is a problem to a lot of countries, including Russia, in Ukraine has become a thing of its own. It's been corroding the entire system, all the branches of the state, and radicals used unhappiness of the people, fear and happiness. So they rode that wave and they turned Maidan in 2014 into coup d'etat. And they were backed by the foreign states. From the data that we have, the support of the so-called protest camp at the Independence Square in Kyiv, 
from the U.S. Embassy was $1 million per day. And additionally, large amounts of money were transferred to the private accounts of the leaders of oppositions. opposition. And we are talking about tens of millions of dollars. And how much did those who really suffered, those who died during the clashes at the squares and streets of the Kiev got? You better not know. You better not ask. Radicals who captured the power, they started terror against against those who were supporting constitutional law, against journalists, against politicians. They were humiliated pu publicly. The whole range of large-scale criminal cases covered Ukraine. We cannot but shudder when we remember about the situation in Odessa when people were burned alive when they protested the authorities. And those criminals who did this, they are not punished. No one is even looking for them. But we know their names and we will do everything to punish them, to find them and to bring them to court of justice. Maidan didn't bring Ukraine closer to democracy. After perpetrating coup d'etat, nationalists and those political forces that backed them brought the situation to the deadlock. They pushed Ukraine into the chasm of civil war. And eight years later, the country is divided. It's going through dire economical crisis. According to the estimates of international organization, organizations in 2018, almost 6 million Ukrainians, which is almost 15% not of the able population, but of the entire population, had to move abroad looking for jobs. And as a rule, they were doing some basic work, unqualified work. And here is another fact. Starting 2020, 60,000 doctors and other medical professionals left the country. Since 2014, the water prices increased by almost one-third. Energy prices increased manifold. Many people have no money to pay for the utility bills. They have to survive, literally. What happened? Why all this is happening? The answer is obvious, because things that they inherited from the Soviet Union, from the Russian Empire, was literally stolen, hidden in pockets. Hundreds of jobs were lost that were giving stable income to the people with the participation of the Russian Federation such areas as machine engineering, power industry, plane, aircraft manufacturing. They are either in crisis or destroyed. And the entire Soviet Union used to be proud of these industries. In 2021, the shipbuilding factory in Nikolaev was closed. Famous Antonov concern starting from 2016, they haven't produced a single plane. And Yuzhmash factory that was building a space-grade machinery, they are almost bankrupt. Same like the Kremenchuk steel factory. As for the gas transport system that was built by the entire Soviet Union, it has become so dilapidated that using it, has a lot of risks. And in this regard, we have a question. This poverty 
loss of the industrial and technological potential. Is that the choice, the pro-Western choice that was put into the heads of the people for years now? Is that it? In reality, everything comes down to the fact that the collapse of the Ukrainian economy goes along with uh, robbing the Ukrainian people, and Ukraine itself is now being controlled from the outside. It is perpetrated not only by the instructions from the West, but also locally by a network of foreign consultants, NGOs, and other institutions deployed in Ukraine. They have direct influence on all the important decisions at all the levels of government, from the central down to the municipal. It influences the main state corporations, Ukrainian railways, energy complex, Ukrainian post, administration of the seaports of Ukraine. And Ukraine doesn't have independent court system anymore. The Kyiv authorities give, gave the preferential right to choose the members of the Supreme Legislation court bodies. And via its embassy in the U.S., the embassy of the U.S. directly controls the national agency on preventing corruption, national anti-corruption bureau, specialized anti-corruption district attorney office, and anti-corruption court. It's all done under the pretense to increase the efficiency of fighting corruption. Well, okay then, but where are the results? Because corruption is still there. It's even worse than it was. And we'll bring you the second half of President Putin's address to the Russian nation on Monday evening in our next newscast. And that's all the news we have for you right now. For Community Public Radio, I'm Don DeBar in New York. Thanks for listening.